I'm going to start off with reading our passage from 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 14. So if you have a Bible and you want to open up to that, or if you want to pull out a screen and, and pull it up there, that would be great. You'll see this on the screen if you're at home. It's a very famous verse, You'll rec- uh, chapter. You'll recognize it as I start to read it. Um, and then we'll spend uh, the, the time that we have just unpacking this a little bit together. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker or are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, was, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Key phrase in there, one another, by the way, uh, we're going to be starting a new series next week, and we're going to be looking at some of the one another's in the scripture. There's a lot of places where um, we're commanded to care for one another in different ways. And so I'm excited about this as we move into a season where we're regathering um, more information on that. Um, But community is a key theme right now, and so that's uh, what we're going to continue to dig into. But for today, I wanted to question, um, do you ever wonder how the church keeps going on? Do you ever wonder how the church keeps going on? Is that something you ever thought about? I mean, isn't it it a bit amazing? Uh, There is a business called uh, Kongo Gumi in Japan. And it's construction business, and it was it was started in the year 578. That's pretty amazing, huh? In the year 2006, this construction business was was purchased by another construction business, and so now it's no longer the oldest world. Um, so it lasted 1,400 years. So now the oldest company in the world is a hotel that sits atop a hot spring, and it was started in the year 705. And so for 1,300 years, this hotel has been doing its business. And this is the striking thing to me is that there have been 52 generations family. We're going to get a different microphone that doesn't break up. Thanks, Martin. Thank you, Martin. So there have been 52 generations of the same family uh, that have been running this hotel uh, for those 1,300 years. They have adopted people into their family to be able to keep going at times when they've needed to. Uh, And it makes me think about the church, how many generations of believers in the church to keep the church 
going. And it's been 2,000 years, right? And we're really actually coming to the actual 2,000 years. But, but if we think more deeply, as we probably should, if we go back to Abraham, add another 2,000 years to that. Generations of people who have kept the church going. And it makes me ask this question, how does it keep going? How does the church keep going. And I want to give you the, the biblical answer. Now, they're probably out there, and I think I've seen some sociological answers to these kinds of questions. None of them have satisfied for me. It's kind of a miracle to me that the church continues on. And here's what the Bible says about why the church continues on. The church continues on because it's not rooted in one individual human. It's the Lord gifting and empowering lots of people to carry out the work of the church. There's no superstars in the church. Well, there's one I'll get to in just a second, but there's no superstars from a human perspective uh, in the church that the gifts are given broadly across a wide variety of people. And it's the manifestation of those gifts, the carrying out of those gifts that makes the church go. And I think God reinforces that truth by not allowing there to be superstars in the church. There aren't superstars, really, when it comes down to it, in the church. And sometimes when there are, they fail us. And it's heartbreaking because we've begun to attach our sense of the church to a particular individual, but all individuals fail, except for the one. There's one superstar in the church, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about Jesus as the head of the church. So there's only one superstar, and then a bunch of interesting, unique individual people who've been in gift, gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit with the Lord orchestrating it all to make, make it so that the church continues on. Let's explore how this works a little bit from our passage here in 1 Corinthians 12. This is the first step I want to take with you. I just have two steps. Um, the first is to talk about the vision of the church, the church as a collective, the church as a collective. We have to make sure that we have the right conception of what it is that we're trying to do here when we gather together or when we gather in our homes or wherever it is that we gather as the church. And oftentimes that requires of us that we make a kind of a mental shift on the way that we see the church. And this is what Paul is trying to accomplish with his letter to the Corinthians. He's trying to help them to make a mental shift. See, there's a strong tendency to associate the church with people who have prominence or the upfront roles in in the church. And, and, and that happens today. You've seen it, I'm sure. And it also happened in Paul's day. Um, the result is that we begin to make this association between the church and the prominent people in the church. And then the, the reverse of that is that those who are not prominent, those who are not upfront, they can feel like they're less a part of the church. And that's what Paul is really attacking in this particular passage. He's saying, no, don't, that might be a worldly way of looking at it, a secular, secular way of looking at an organization, but that's not how God looks at the church. 
It's something different. This is why he says these words, in, starting in verse 23. On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. Uh, I read this already. And uh, our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That's the underline that verse. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So here's the reality is that I have a duty in the church and you have a duty in the church and the call upon us from God is to carry out that duty, whatever it is. And what really matters in all of this is that we be faithful to discharge that duty. And whether my efforts or your efforts have a larger impact on the kingdom, the overall advance of the kingdom, neither of us, none of us will ever really know. We won't know. I mean, just do a little thought experiment with this. I could spend my life, you know, uh, preaching as I've, I've been called to do and, and leading and shepherding with all my heart to do it, to try to strive to do it faithfully. And maybe over time, there's these incremental shifts that, that happen in ways that God uses me to impact people's lives. You may not be called to that. Some of you might be called to that. And there's a call that's like that God is, is working out in your heart even right now. Some of you might not be called to that. Um, you might be called to other functions within the body. And maybe even just in the living out of your faith, you know, imagine thought experiment. You sometimes share your faith with a person and that person, you know, that becomes a significant part of how they come to faith. Just like we celebrated Tina today. Um, and then that person goes on to, um, to share their faith with somebody else. And the person they share with ends up being, you know, some kind of Billy Graham type evangelist or just even not that great, but just an evangelist who has an impact impact on, on tons and tons of people. You see how complex this gets. We never really know what, 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 what we have to focus on is being, is being faithful. If you were to take that thought experience and say, well, who has a greater impact on the kingdom, the answer would be only God would know. Only God could know the impact of our lives on the advance of the kingdom. And here's the amazing thing about that. It doesn't even matter anyway, because he's the one who's behind the scenes by his Holy Spirit, orchestrating the gifts that we all have and empowering those gifts to be lived out. So credit, all credit goes to the Lord anyway. There's only one superstar in the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, which, who gives gifts to everyone in the body of Christ and then empowers those gifts to be used for the upbuilding and the blessing of the church of Jesus Christ. So we can make that mental shift. Then we're ready to hear just how grand, I, th I think how grand and how wonderful is God's vision for each of us and for the church. We'll go back here briefly in chapter 12 to the beginning in verse 4. And listen to what Paul writes there. He says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Are you seeing this? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And he didn't say 
to some is given the manifestation of the Spirit, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. When you're sitting in your home group and you have the gift of wisdom and you utter your wisdom to somebody else in the home group and it completely changes their life, is that more significant? Is, is what I do here more significant or that? That's more significant in that moment. See? We've got to shatter our conception of the way God is working in the body of Jesus Christ. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the empowerment by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, I know when I read some of those texts, you have questions about what does it mean to speak in tongues and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And hopefully, Lord will over the next seasons, we'll be able to get into those or even have an offline conversation. I'm not going to go and try to answer all those questions right now. I want you to, 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 to go back, kind of uh, uh, take the camera angle wide and see what Paul is really saying is that the church is the body and each member, not some of them, each member matters. And that verse where he says each member has been given a gift to dispense in the outworking, the upbuilding of the church. The church is the collective, led and empowered by the Lord as he gives gifts to each of its members. And that, if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, if Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, that includes you, every single one. Each one. Okay, that's the vision. And you kind of got to sit with it for a bit and imagine what a church is like when it's, it's not focused on a few, but it really sees the empowerment of every single, single believer to carry out the work. Hey, just try to, in your mind, hold that picture and imagine uh, how different that is than what we often experience in the world. So if this is the vision, um, the collective, then I want to just take a few minutes and think through what are the implications for us. We're talking this series about the importance of yearning for each other with the affection of Christ. This is the fourth one in the series. Um, we're talking about coming back together as we regather. We're entering back into society in many ways right now. Um, the world's opening up in some ways. And we don't know what kind of spiritual shifts are taking place in people's lives as they're coming out of the pandemic. And so it's really important right now that we be the church in the way that God intends for us to be the church, which means we, we're, we're functioning on all cylinders and each gift each gift is brought to the table so that we can really be the church. So how does, that, how does all that work out? I have three recommendations, which I'll go through very, fairly quickly here. The first thing I want to invite you to do is to reframe your identity with respect to these passages. Reframe your, see yourself as an integral part of the body. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, etc., etc. Right? A lot of times we sit down and we go, hey, I'm not a foot. 
I'm a hand. I must not be valuable, right? And Paul is saying, nope, that's not how it works. We all bring a unique giftedness to the body of Christ, and every single one is important. Like which organ, besides maybe your appendix, I'm not sure if we figured out what that's for, but like which organ would you like to give up in your body? But yeah, almost none, right? Because they're all important. They're all important. And in the body of Christ, it's the same. And that's what Paul's saying. And this is an identity thing. This is understanding that you are as important to the body of Christ as any other person. And if that person seems to have a prominent role, then don't let yourself get caught up in thinking that I am less important than that person. That's Paul's saying that's not how the body of Christ works. That might be a worldly kind of way of looking at it, but that's not a spiritual way of looking at it. We all have a role to play. Do your job. It's kind of the message. Uh, but but um, to each is manifest the spirit um, uh, for the common good. So, you know, we've got this overarching vision, Church Unleashed, that we have been leaning into. We started right before the pandemic, got a little waffly here during the pandemic, but we're still hanging on to this vision, the Church Unleashed. And one of the things that I, I would want to underscore from these texts this morning is that if, if there's some barrier to you viewing yourself in the way that Paul talks about as an important integral part of the body of Christ, we need to pray that out. We need to, your home, you need to share that with your home group and start to talk with your home group. How, what is the gifting that God has given me? What's my role? And how can I be a part of what God is doing in the world around us right now? It's absolutely essential for the furtherance of the church and for the church to be everything it needs to be at this time. You need to be unleashed is what I'm really saying. You need to be unleashed in your giftedness. And that's what we want to hopefully do over the next season as we get back to our vision and figure out how to disciple people and encourage them and strengthen them in the calling that they have. Okay, got to move on. Reframe your activity. Once we get a proper sense of our identity, then we figure out what are we called to do? What is it that you're specifically called to do? We have a, um, you know, am I foot or a hand or an ear? Um, if you've never taken a spiritual gift inventory, we've got one online. We have a discipleship website that we're firing back up again. It's called opiso.org. So you can find it, www.opiso.org. Go on there. There's a link right in the headers to spiritual gifts inventory. If you've never taken one, download that, take the spiritual gifts inventory, and that will help you. And then bring that to your home group, talk with them about it. Hey, what do you guys, see? how do you see me serving you in the community? Huge, important to have the community be a part of that. And observe what people invite you to do. Oh, I, I always get invited to do this thing. Well, maybe that's because that's part of my spiritual giftedness. All right. And in all this, I want to encourage us to really have the big picture. Um, I'm going to skip over some things. You know, our networks of relationships are, are really disjointed now compared to like 500 years ago where you'd have been in the same church with the same community in the same village. You'd see the same people. It's probably very clear in that context what your role was. But we sort of we sort of intersect in weird ways. You know, you have your church community, and then you go off to San Francisco for your work community, and there's almost no overlap between those, and it becomes very confusing and how, how these gifts work themselves out. But the, the nature of the gifts is such that they're much more than just simply fulfilling a role. We often talk about position descriptions in the church and, and people fulfilling particular roles. The spiritual gifts are so much greater than that. We have a woman 
in our church right now who um, has the gift of evangelism. And she is on TikTok these days sharing how the Lord has healed her in her brokenness. Uh, and the imp- what's happening is all kinds of people are watching. In fact, so many that sh- I don't really understand how TikTok works. No surprise. But so many that now she's able to do like live TikTok. I guess that's a, a level you get to if you have a lot of people engaging with you. And she's able to have a ministry, a TikTok ministry. Now, when you come to our church membership class and we hand you out the ways to serve, like it doesn't have on there one position description is TikTok influencer. We always got to have a TikTok influencer in our church. And so we just need to find that person. We don't think, we, we, we don't have that, but that's what the Lord is doing in her life and through her. And how great would it be is, if we as a church could come alongside someone like this person and support them in the work. I mean, she's working essentially full time doing this right now. There's so much, there's so much to do. Wouldn't it be great if we could have a TikTok missionary? See, we got to think big and creatively about how the gifts of the body of Christ get unleashed and how we as a church see our job then is to come along and support one another in our giftedness. And just maybe we're being called to support somebody in the gift of being a TikTok influencer and making it possible for that person to really dig into that ministry where there's traction and people are asking deep questions, spiritual questions, because of the testimony that this person has. Okay. We need to think expansively. I want to invite you to think expansively about how the Lord has called you to serve the larger work of the church. And some of that is going to be within the church body, like when we gather on Sunday morning, and some of it's going to be more out there, more outward facing. But the functions of the body of Christ include all of that. And, and he's given all of that to us in this community. So maybe it's within the walls of the church, maybe not, that's okay. But think expansively about how God is going to unleash you in your giftedness. And then lastly, just very quickly, we need to, we, I want to invite us to reframe our culture. Um, and this brings us back to our theme, yearning with affection. You know, one of the ba- best ways that we can help each other in this process of being unleashed in our giftedness, of really fulfilling the promise of the church as the gifts of the church are unleashed, is when we really approach each other with the kind of affection we've been talking about, the affection of Jesus Christ, when we value one another. In this series, we've talked about the source of our affection. You know, we love each other because God loves us. And so we're mirrors of God's love towards one another. You heard that in Tina's testimony. Um, And then we nurture that affection by praying for one another. And then we see the power of that affection in the way that it holds us close to the gospel. We keep calling each other back to the gospel. That was last week. And then the promise of that affection is when the gifts of the church are unleashed so that the church is functioning in the way that the Lord originally intended it to. In the the passage we're looking at, the, the, the language around this is bestowing honor one upon another. And that's what we do as the church. And this cuts across all the divisions that the world wants to, wants us to, to embrace, whether they be race or gender or age or economic or whatever it is. This call to bestow honor on one another cuts across 
across all that. And it's what God uses to help make us one. And when we do that, we bestow honor. Then we create a space, a culture where people's giftedness is more likely to emerge. That's the point there. So let me finish with this. Um, if you've been on YouTube at all, uh, you've probably sent, been sent one of those uh, people are awesome videos. Have you ever, some of you seen people are awesome videos? Yeah. Well, not as many as I would have thought. Um, okay. Some of you are holding back. That's why. Anyway, these are videos where it's just a compilation of what amazing people can do um, and capture on video. And it's just crazy things. It's like people backflipping, you know, a hundred times in a row, shooting baskets across entire parking lots over their head while they dive off a uh, dive off a, a, a diving board into a pool, you know, backwards. I mean, it's just total insanity. There was one I watched yesterday where a guy climbed like a 15 foot ladder that was not leaned against anything. He just balanced it all the way up, you know, and then the ladder finally started to fall and he jumped off. I mean, it's just crazy, you know, put somebody doing like 97 hula hoops, you know, just amazing things. And you look at that and you go, wow, isn't the body amazing in what it can do? Isn't the body amazing in what it can do? When all the parts are functioning together and really, you know, kind of making it happen. Isn't it amazing what the body can do? I want you to think about what's the highlight reel going on in heaven when the body of Christ is functioning in the way that God intended it to function. People's lives are being transformed. People are coming to faith. People are being blessed and served and strengthened and encouraged, right? That's the heavenly highlight rule, reel that goes on when we live into this incredible calling that we've been given as the church. So God, would you help us to live into the call upon us as the body, to see each other as members of the same body, to love and honor each other in the way that you've called us, and to celebrate when the result of that is the emergence of more giftedness that's applied to more advance of the kingdom that results in more lives being changed. That's what we long for. That's what we pray for today. In Jesus' name, amen.